Hi, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin, and with me today is Ethisphere CEO, Erica Salmon-Byrne, as we discuss the April 28th Federal Reserve Report, which examines the causes and regulatory implications of the March 17th failure of Silicon Valley Bank. At the time, SVB was the second biggest failure in U.S. banking history, but in recent days, that has been dislodged down to third place when First Republic Bank failed right after the Fed released its SVB report. Erica, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Bill, it's my pleasure. I mean, as you know well, anytime a report like this comes out, it is every compliance professional's responsibility to dig into it. Um, And so Bill and I have read all 118 pages so that you all don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting times, no no doubt. So I guess the first question I wanna ask you is, um, one of the things that struck me most from the Fed's report was that rather than address some of the pretty fundamental risk management issues you know, within its operations, SVB simply changed how it measured those risks. So as a governance expert, when you read that, what kind of stomach ache did it give you? Give me a, uh, yeah, Bill, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So risk management is a, f- a fundamental piece of um, good, good sort of, business operations, right? You are, you should always be thinking about what does the risk profile look like? What does the changing environment mean for the risk profile? And that is never the case more than, than in a, a period of time like we're in right now. And mm-hmm. instead of um, setting a risk appetite and sticking to it, what SVP decided to do was to change their risk appetite effectively, right? They changed the way they thought about risk. And to me, one of the most striking things in the report was the, the Fed pointed out that you know, not surprisingly, all of SVB's uh, management team had all of their incentive measures and metrics tied to short-term profits. Um, and so again, it goes back to, I mean, you know, it's Groundhog Day. At the end of the day, the culture you build is a reflection of who you fire, who you hire, who you praise and who you promote and how you pay them. And so if you're going to build a structure where the number one metric is quarter over quarter profits and return, you know, and, 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 and short-term growth, you are going to incentivize situations like this. Um, you're going to make it so that if I can't fix it legitimately, I'm not going to face the problem. I'm going to bury the problem in the way that I measure the risk. And um, you know, it's 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 a sad story for all of the the people who did not do anything wrong that were affected by this, right? I mean, you listen to businesses who were not sure they could make payroll. You listen to you know people who. Um, uh, were working on uh, film productions that were financed by SVB. Like the the ripple effect of this type of misconduct is profound, and it's really frustrating to see so many of the same themes that we see, you know, all the way back to 2002. Right? Some of the stuff that's in this report would have been in the retrospective of Enron or WorldCom, and it's like we just haven't learned our lesson that you need to plan for the long term. Yeah. And that short term incentivization piece really it was particularly striking um, since banking really is a long term business. Uh, and and when you see that mismatch between short term uh, desire and long term planning, that seems to be the, the gap in between the gears where things can really, you know, can really go wrong. Right. Um, and it's it, the board's it, job in many ways to push on those things. Right. When they approve a yeah. compensation plan. One of the things a good board of directors is doing is saying, what are the particular behavioral incentives that we have built into the way we have decided to pay these people? Mm-hmm. And it does not appear based on the 118 pages of, you know, uh, of, of Fed findings that those were questions that were happening. Um, and that's really a shame 
because because that is one of the board's fundamental responsibilities is to think about the way in which they are setting up certain structures with the incentives that they are uh, presenting to management for their behavior. Well, it speaks to sort of a systemic approach towards risk in general for this organization. And that kind of brings me to my next question, which is that, you know, SVB was without a chief risk officer for yeah. some eight months before it failed. Uh, and many of the risks it could have hedged, it simply didn't hedge. Uh, and you could say, well, they didn't have a CRO to do it. But it kind of gets me wondering if if it's really about the lack of the CRO or is it more about a management culture that allowed for that position to go unfilled for so long? And I'd love to know what you think about that. It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg, right? I mean, because there's, look, there's a reason that they didn't have a CRO. Uh, there's a reason they didn't aggressively move to fill the CRO role. There's a reason the directors weren't asking where's the CRO, right? I mean, those are, for for an, an organization like Silicon Valley Bank to go that long without somebody in that particular seat Org charts send messages, right? They, they tell you something about what matters to the management of that organization and to decide that it's okay for that seat to be empty and for that role to be kind of filled in an ad hoc fashion. Um, it, it really does say something about the way that the, the culture at Silicon Valley Bank thought about risk without question. Yeah. 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 And it's part of, you know, it's, it's, it's you, as, you know, as you and I talked about a little bit, Bill, at the Global Ethics Summit, the, this, this concept of, you know, the regulators pushing on the structural pieces is something that I really encourage people listening to you and I to dig into, right? We had a wonderful session at the Global Ethics Summit with uh, Glenn Leon from the Department of Justice yeah. and Matt Axelrod from Commerce. And they talked a lot about incentives and they talked a lot about organizational structure and they talked about having a seat at the table, right? And in those particular conversations, it was about making sure that the compliance team was really engaged in the strategy. But in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, right, you have a, a fundamental control function that the directors and the management team said, we don't need to fill it. Right. Yeah. We don't need to fill it. Interest rate volatility. We don't need to fill it. And 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 that that attitude says something about how they thought about risk. Yeah. Now, you had said before that, you know, these things were all kind of echoes of previous disasters. And mm -hmm. yet, you know, we look at the Fed report. What happened to SVB looked extremely preventable. So that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, you know, in a case of almost cosmically uh, interesting timing, you know, with the failure of First Republic, I mean, right after this report dropped, First Republic was pretty much gone. Yep. So, um, you know, its failure and its subsequent takeover by JP Morgan, it all kind of brings to mind echoes of like 2007, 2008 and the financial crisis then. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, though, what practices are in place uh, that might make what we're seeing now different from what we experienced then? Yeah. So I, you know, it's what's what's the what's the phrase, Bill? You know, the, those who do not learn their history are doomed to repeat it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's part of the reason why every time one of these reports come out, I try to dig into it as much as possible and pull out the lessons so that we are all learning from our history, so that we're not doomed to repeat it. I think the thing for me that 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 makes the the current day different from 0708 um, is. I do feel like there are so many more organizations now that are understanding that if you view compliance purely as a regulatory exercise, right? Show me what the law is and I will comply with it or I will find a way to work around it or I will change my risk measurement so I don't have to deal with it. Instead of looking at it that way, you have so many more organizations now that are saying, my stakeholders are asking for me to do business the right way. And I'm going to lean in to doing business the right way. And the regulatory guidance is going to be regulatory guidance. And the compliance is going to be helpful for me to sort of figure out some of those metrics along the way. But it's not going to be the thing that I'm using to motivate my work, 
right? I'm going to be motivated in my work by thinking about the strategy of the business, thinking about the stakeholders of the business, thinking about the long-term growth of the business, thinking about the risk appetite of the business, right? Those are going to be the things that are going to matter to me as opposed to show me what the regulatory framework is and I'll work around it. And, and that to me is the, it, it, you it especially as we seesaw back and forth between different administrations that, that have different regulatory approaches to compliance, yeah. you have to think about it that way, right? Because if you are planning your uh, risk appetite and your strategic growth plan and, and, and your uh, M&A activity and your diligence changes, right? If you're planning those in four-year cycles, you are going to be descending into madness very quickly because the whipsaw effect is significant. And so to all of the compliance officers that are out there listening to this, really taking a step back and saying, why does my business exist in the first place, right? What does my social license to operate require of me? And how do I build a program that safeguards those things regardless of what the regulatory framework is that's the place we all need to get to. And if we can get there, that is the thing that makes this time different than 0708. Indeed, indeed. And that re that Fed report, it did rather you know squarely point a finger back at, you know, re, you know, kind of Trump era regulatory rollbacks for giving yep. SVP the rope it needed to hang itself. Um, and, and you'd mentioned before, if you're playing in four year cycles, that's kind of planning for failure. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit more about, you know, in this political climate where we can expect to see more doing and undoing of, of administrative policies? And that's frankly kind of a horrifying, uh, you know, landscape to have to operate in. Yeah. Um, but, you, but, you know, do you have anything further to talk about how, you know, where this leads businesses looking to create a sustainable and consistent risk profile? So a, a couple of things on that, Bill, because it is, I mean, it's every business leader that I talk to says, you know, whatever the, whatever the compliance issue of the moment is, you know, let's, let's say it's data privacy, for example, they just want certainty, right? Like, just tell me what it is that I'm going to be like the environment in which I'm operating and I will, I will adjust accordingly. And so in the absence of regulatory cohesion, you can find certainty by thinking about your stakeholder groups, right? Who are the people that matter to me as a business? Who are my customers of the future? Who are my employees of the future? Who are my investors? And how do I structure the work I am doing to make sure that I am keeping those stakeholders in mind at all times? Mm -hmm. That is that is the way to thread the needle between some of the regulatory whipsawing that we have seen and are probably going to see, right? That is just the reality of the situation. So thinking about it from the perspective of not, not what the compliance regulations are requiring me to do, but that what 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 is my strategic priorities as what are my strategic priorities as a business? What does my risk appetite look like as a result of that? And then how do I carve a path forward um, through those pieces? And you know, to anybody out here who out there who's listening to Bill and I talk about this that has a seat on a board or aspirations to be a director, you know, the the session that we did at the Global Ethics Summit with three public company directors, there was a phrase in there: um, noses at, noses in, fingers out. Right. I think one of the things that we didn't see in the Fed report was nearly enough noses in. Right. Mm -hmm. Your your job as a director is to ask questions. Right. And to press management and to question yourself about the incentives that you're putting in place for the management team. And if you're not doing those things, then, you know, that is how we keep repeating history. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Erica, it's always a pleasure speaking with you about these things. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. 
My pleasure, absolutely, Bill. And for anybody who uh, missed our Global Ethics Summit, I did reference two amazing panels from that. Um, mm -hmm. Bill and, and his colleague, Akhti Maharaj, were ethicasting the whole time and everything is available on the YouTube channel. So if you missed something, um, I definitely recommend you check it out and all of the GES sessions are on demand. So we dig into a lot of these questions of like strategic seat at the table and how to think about risk and how to think about incentives. And all of those things are really reflected in the Fed report. So, um, you know, if you're interested in digging into these, I highly recommend uh, those as, as, as additional lessons. Absolutely. And to learn more about how a robust culture of ethics and governments can strengthen risk management, be sure to keep your eyes peeled for the world's most ethical companies data report, which will be publishing later on this month. We'll be speaking specifically about these things and more. So uh, be sure to take a you know to, to, to keep your eyes open for it. The data report will be available on the Ethisphere Resource Center at ethisphere.com slash resources. I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been the Ethicast. For more episodes, please visit the Ethicast channel on Ethisphere's YouTube page at youtube.com slash at Ethisphere. And wherever you're watching us, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.